right, welcome to Puck It, We'll Do It Live, our pre-recorded Minnesota Twins podcast. It is Thursday, May 14th. Zach Pierce here, managing editor of The Athletic Minnesota, joined as always by Dan Hayes. Dan, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, doing well. How are you doing, Zach? That's phenomenal. I'm good as well. <laughs> but today, it's not just the two of us talking to each other. We are joined by a very special guest from within, from our own family here at The Athletic. Uh, you know him from all sorts of baseball news on the site over the last however long. It feels like it never ends, but we are joined by Evan Drellick. Evan, thank you so much for coming today. What's going on, guys? Oh, just hanging out in our houses, uh, trying to find things to do. What about you? Um, the last couple of days have been busy. A lot of radio and podcasts. I'd kind of laid low on the radio circuit for a while, but uh, it's it's coming fast and furious now with these negotiations going on. But I'm so glad I can do another with you guys. Yeah, hey, uh, Evan, I was going to say, um, you knew you were kind of uh, going to be busy somewhat with the labor stuff, um, but obviously this has thrown a wrench into all that because 2021, you're looking ahead. Um, but, I mean, it feels like uh, basically since end of October, November, you've uh, been nonstop with uh, major stuff throughout the game, and obviously the Astro stuff, which is no longer the big news, but um, how, how would you describe what's currently going on as teams and uh, player, or owners and players are working to uh, get a solution here and figure out the season? You're right that I was expecting to be covering something closer to this next year, at the end of next year in 21, after the collective bargaining agreement is up. Uh, but we have kind of the pseudo work stoppage moment right now, not caused by one side or the other. It's just, we know there's a pandemic going on. So where we are today, the union and the league met digitally yesterday. I think it was by Zoom. Uh, and the league did talk some economics with the union. It was more protocols on safety and health. There was no meeting scheduled for today. The union is waiting and may have already received an 80-page proposal from the league specifically on the health protocols. So all the testing, all the different things they're going to do to try to keep these guys healthy and the different contingencies. And then at some point in these conversations, they do have to get back to that tiny elephant in the room, the money. But they haven't hit that quite yet. Well, the the funny part is that it seems like I mean we've we've heard, and and w what maybe do you think as far as the damage that's been done, um, even though there really hasn't been that much discussion, do you think there, it seems like there's been an awful lot of leaks the last couple of weeks, and they've sort of negotiated in public ahead of time, um, and and so even though they're not the money, it feels like they've been talking about the money uh, through back channels. What? What do you think that will do to the the negotiations once they do finally get to this point where they're sitting down and talking about money? The public back and forth is probably never great, but it's also kind of expected at this point. And there's a contentiousness between the union and the league that's pre-existing. It's been simmering for the better part of a decade. The last two CBAs were not uh, widely viewed as being favorable to the players. So the chirping isn't new. I don't think any of it's going to derail them. It's certainly going to raise some blood pressures. It might not be the most productive thing. But 
optics aren't really what drives the boat here. The union made some leadership changes in recent years below Tony Clark. Um, I think you're seeing the union attempt to maybe have a little bit more fight than it's had previously or, or, or to at least show a different perception of that. So I wouldn't expect them to all of a sudden to, to be super quiet. It just seems to be the nature of the relationship that's been strained over tanking issues, over teams not spending or allegedly not spending, their revenue sharing dollars, you name it, service time. There's some bad blood here, and yet we still usually end up playing some baseball games in normal circumstances. Evan, it feels like between that issue and then obviously the health and safety issue and figuring out a way to do this right, it, it feels to me like it's very optimistic to be talking about July. It seems like it's a lot further off. Do you have any sense in your mind of, of kind of what you think might even be a possible timeline for all this? Well, they're trying to barrel ahead with the July idea. To me, the great question is not when can they start, it's how long can they last. It's do we get a full season in without a health drama, without um, somebody falling ill in the baseball family on the field, whatever it might be, can can they get to a World Series? Or, or do they, you know, one day of baseball isn't that hard to imagine. It's the many, many days that become more difficult where so many things can go wrong. And there's so many variables in the different municipalities the team have to go to its spring training home to play games instead because the city gets locked down. Who knows? And they're working through all those contingencies now, but they want to have spring training in June and they want to play in July. Can they pull that off? Yeah. If they, well, I don't, I don't want to say definitively yes for me. If they can get through these negotiations, that will clear the way, but they do have to work all this stuff out before they start playing any form of baseball, spring training, which becomes summer training or otherwise. Hey, Evan, you, you mentioned optics in the, the last part um, on negotiations. And, you know, I get a sense from players that they are a little dis- uh, upset with the way things have gone so far because early on, you know, and, and even yesterday, you know, I live in Chicago and, and Illinois Pritz, uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker came out and said that the players need to accept this offer no matter what it is and, um, I, I think players are concerned that owners are going to be that they're going to be made to look like the bad guys in all of this. And what, where I'm wondering is, is do you think that this stuff can? You you mentioned health derailing it. Can the money derail this whole thing before it even starts? Um, as far as, or do you think that players are and and owners are smart enough to look around and say, you know, fifteen percent, and that's that's right now, fifteen percent of the uh, United States is unemployed. And we're going to look like idiots, and this could ruin baseball. If do you, is there a a uh, adult in the room? I think on both sides, while still both of them have valid points to argue. There's no arguing any of that. But do you think that the adult in the room exists to make sure that that doesn't derail them? Yeah, I think the adult in the room ultimately is their long time, long term financial health. If they don't play. Number one, the public will be down on them. You're going to have many more public officials, government officials being highly critical. And all of that eventually does come back to hurt you. 
in franchise value in for the oh, for the owners in free agency for the players you name it if they can't get back on the field this year it hurts the caveat there is if it's not for health reasons you know if if indeed it's the money and only an argument about money that holds us up so the line i keep giving people is it's inconceivable to me that they do not find a way to get this done they have to be able to get over the economics but right now the bridge is it's the path is unclear because the league is saying we're going to lose money for every incremental regular season game we play the union's saying i don't buy that so they, you know put aside this idea of the revenue sharing system or the salary cap the union disagrees that they should have to give any more money back at all so how do they bridge that gap the union's going to ask for increased financials and and more open books, are they going to get it? So there's there's a there's a gap here. I just it would be flabbergasting if they couldn't find a way around it. Yeah, I mean, you think about 1994 and what that did to the sport, and it took a while to recover. It took it took an era that of home runs and of kind of juice players that that got baseball back on the map to to overcome the damage you, that you mean got. Like, I don't like know apple juice <laughs> yes yes like apple juice exactly okay. no but I mean I you, you think about what that took and I just don't know that the sport can overcome some kind of work stoppage here if it like you said health reasons absolutely 100 percent if this doesn't you know that's the the one big caveat here is everything has to be good to go for them to get out there but I mean I just don't know that these two sides could survive another stoppage like this. Survive, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's, you're saying played out where they, they don't end up playing. It'd be brutal. It'd be brutal on, on, on all sides here. The complicating factor is if the players were able to kind of successfully say, we're not taking the reduction in salary or the reduction in salary that you want because in part enough of our members are concerned about their health. And so then, you know, it, it's, it's all the types of discussions and themes that you would have in a standard work stoppage with a, a complicating factor in the background. It's not even the background. It's the foreground as well. So it's not as straightforward a response but nonetheless, the response would be bad. If you and I can sit here now and say, yikes, that wouldn't go well, um, it's pretty obvious. I, I want to get back to the health part, too. Uh, obviously, to have that long of a dialogue on that in 80 pages, um, there's, there's a good amount of consideration. How I, I think when people at large are looking at this problem, they're, they're seeing, you know, New York. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Chicago where they just had 4,000 new cases yesterday. Granted, they are on the Tuesday. Granted, they tested 30,000 people, but that's still 14% uh, were coming back positive to tests. And people are going, how are they going to play baseball here in, in July? Um, but when you think about what the pro leagues have probably access to from a health standpoint, is there, without there being, obviously there's no perfect bubble for these teams to play in. I mean, the Phoenix idea was interesting, and but asking players to go away for four months and live in this bubble would be very hard to do. But 
that being said, do you think that the league has a pretty good idea of how, you know, how it would kind of go about this because of the the medical people involved? And I mean, do you, do you think they're fairly confident they could pull this off? They're not going to play if they don't feel they have access to tests and an adequate number of tests. But there's really no way to control for what might happen in different cities, Chicago or otherwise, Minnesota, Minneapolis. You, you just don't know ahead of time. So it's the same discussion that exists in many other facets of the country. It's the same reopening question that the non-baseball person, the layman, is, is dealing with uh, as well. You know, when does it make sense to do it? The added element for me, and I can't quite shake this part, is the fear of the downside of the worst case scenario where someone in the sport dies. We're looking to baseball. I say we, you know, general public, media fans. Every, everybody who pays attention to baseball, I think, wants it back in a vacuum. But part of the reason you want it back is, is this sign of normalcy and, and the uplifting message and uh, spiritual boost it would bring to the country. What is the, 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 op, the flip side? If you have it back and it doesn't work and someone passes away or, or you have to stop the season, are people going to sit there and go, well, it's great we tried? Or are they going to say, I, I'm demoralized? essentially. And I don't mean to be bleak about it, but there is a downside scenario here to me that is hard to shake. Yeah, but it, it takes you back to what you said earlier, Evan, about there's so much focus on when are we going to start up again, but and we're kind of kicking that conversation down the line, at least publicly, about what does it look like when someone gets sick because someone will and, and, and what is the worst case scenario. Maybe it's not even a, a player that, that, that dies. Maybe a, a player passes it to you know, an old timer Hall of Famer who hangs around the the team or something like that. But uh, I think if there's any sport that has a chance, maybe it feels like it's baseball in a funny way because it's kind of distanced out there on the field. But I just I, I can't imagine any scenario where that doesn't come into play at some point. Somebody gets sick and we have to talk about shutting down the season. And I don't know if there's a question here in this rambling uh, monologue that I'm on, Evan, but it feels like the hurdles and the questions about what do you do are just so complicated. Everyone's going to have a different take on it that I, I don't know how this 80-page document is going to address it, but I'm definitely uh, uh, eager to find out. Yeah, and you're hitting the nail on the head. It, it, it's, as much as we have some understanding of what MLB is trying to do on the economic side and the fact that the union does not like uh, what it's hearing at the moment, even though there hasn't been that formal proposal, we don't know the specifics of that health plan. And if you, if you guys happen to get a copy of it, want to pass it my way, uh, that'd be great. We, we can share, share notes. A lot in there is, is going to be explained. The unions had independent health experts and, and you know, they, they are not a part to this point of that 80-page proposal, right? So there's going to be a collaborative effort. Uh, the league has had its own health experts as well. There's consultation with all these different government, uh, government officials. It really, it, it, if it gets pulled off, and even if it doesn't, there has been an impressive logistical feat that's gone underway here, which is true for many businesses in the country. But uh, the effort 
that has has been undertaken to get this done, I, I think is has not been small even to this point. This is something that I think we're talking about here internally too, that obviously this has affected everybody in the world, but here at The Athletic, we haven't, uh, none of us have traveled anywhere for our jobs in however long. And, and w whenever we start lifting that policy, what does it look like? And there will be some people who are, who are already anxious to get back on a plane, don't care what the risks are. There are others who even after government officials say, get back on planes are still going to be hesitant to do so. I imagine that it'll be similar in the players core. There'll be players who just don't want to risk it for whatever reason um, when it's time. So, you know, is that something that becomes a consideration? And what do you do if there's a, if there's a star player who's adamant about not wanting to play, are there going to be considerations for those? I, we could talk all night about the different um, logistics of this, but it's just, it's, it's going to be crazy to see what, how they can possibly address all those things. The union is going to push for considerations, protections, whatever you want to call it, for players who, for whatever reasons, don't want to play. You're not going to have a situation, I, I can't imagine, where MLB is literally trying to force somebody on the field. So the issue isn't going to be, does somebody have to play? It would look terrible and wouldn't work. The union wouldn't, wouldn't allow for it. So the issue then becomes, if you don't play, do you, reserve, do you get money? Do you get service time? What does that look like? And, you know, if there's a particularly big player who doesn't play, uh, that's where the magnifying glass really comes down on it. I, I don't know that people are going to stop and wonder about a lesser-known player making close to the league minimum. Um, but like everything else here, there's money attached to it. Uh, service time, in, in a way, equates to money eventually, free agency, arbitration, all that. So that's one of the details that they're going to have to work out, and it's definitely high on the union's list of things that they need to hammer out, is, is making sure players feel they have a sense of choice here. And our dear colleague Ken Rosenthal uh, wrote, I think it was yesterday, about the underlying health conditions that some players have and, and have to consider. And you know, any, any scenario you can imagine uh, someone is an, on the older side as a player and has young kids at home, or maybe their spouse is um, immunocompromised. You know, what, whatever the scenario is, you can imagine it. There's, there's a lot of different reasons somebody might not want to play, and so they have to have a procedure to go through it, and they will. So overall, where, where do you stand? Where do you, where do you think we are as far as, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? What, what do you think happens? Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm idealistic. They're going to fight over the money. The money's not going to stop them from playing baseball. It's what I pointed to earlier. It's still that question of that you guys are alluding to, too. Does everything else work out? Once you get back on the field, can you stay there? Can all the teams stay there? Do you have the right policies in place? Does everything else fall your way in so much as uh, cities staying open? I mean, you can imagine a scenario as unlikely as it might be where you've had teams relocate to Arizona or Florida and then Arizona or Florida have to be, you know, Phoenix or, or whatever the, the bases are in Florida have to be shut down. So there's just so many ways it could go wrong. Um, and we, we just don't know the twists and turns that await on the health side. The thing that is in their control, the economics and all the planning that they can do in every other way, I have some faith that the $10 billion industry 
can get it to act together and find a way to make to to set themselves up if indeed they are able to be out there. I think I'm on the side with you of just being like like you said, maybe naive, but I'm I'm still optimistic about it. But I'm glad we're both there because honestly, and and let's just break from this, dude. Th- we've uh, worked together for a long time. We worked at the same parent company before this. Um, this is maybe the darkest conversation that you and I have ever had in our uh, in in the time we've known each other. Usually, there might be a beer or two involved, and it's a lot more fun than this. Um, but I, so let's switch it up and and go to the uh, how are the Astros to the other big story of your off season? How are the Astros gonna get away? They're not gonna have face a single fan if if there's baseball this year. How do the Astros after everything that went on? in November and December, get away from the, and, and January and February, uh, get away without playing in front of a single fan in 2020. How is this possible? And where is Jim Crane in all of this? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that hopefully there'll be fans in 2021. And by the way, there could be fans this year in different markets at different points. It just might not be full stadiums. Like, a Midwest city could end up having, I don't know, 20, 40% and whatever coastal Midwest doesn't matter. The the point is you're going to have owners that are pushing for fans to be let in. You know, there's, there's relationships between teams and local government, certainly in New York, for example, uh, you know, could the Yankees successfully lobby if New York reopens to have, some number of fans in the stadium. And, and when is that? Would that be August? Would that be September? What does that look like? It, it's funny you mentioned the Astros in, in, in this context because the Astros are one of the teams that suffer probably more than most because they are very gate-dependent. They don't have a good TV deal relative to their market. So they there's going to be kind of a fracturing or, or factioning amongst, amongst owners where – even if there's this league average, like we'll lose money, some owners might make a little bit of money and some others might not. Um, so the Astros are one of those teams that, you know, maybe if push came to shove would say, you know, I don't need to play this year, but uh, just from a pure bottom line perspective. And that's one of the things to watch here is how the different owners end up working out. How's that for your science stealing answer? That That's a great, thank you. And, and by the way, uh, for those of you who don't know, and I'm guessing – Based on our audience, you do. Evan and uh, and Ken Rosenthal were uh, behind a lot of the uh, Astro sign stealing stuff with a nice uh, assist from John Boy um, as well. They were behind the, it, uh, like they they, they like were they, they they uncovered it. They uncovered okay. it, Zach. So I was going to yes. say I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, there was. Well, yeah, Evan Evans uh, definitely he was the code breaker. He was the initial code breaker from um, what I. Uh, have been told, but that's, you know, as an English sources. major at a public school. I have broken <laughs> no codes. <laughs> uh, any, uh, any positive, you, you live in New York, any positive developments, uh, personally for yourself during the, uh, the uh, pandemic while, uh, you've been sitting at home, what have you been doing to kill time? You know, I, I've taken the leap and realized that if you do put the frozen dinner in the conventional oven, Despite how much time it takes, it is rewarding, and I recommend it. I'm a big believer in that. You just got to plan a little bit more ahead, preheat the whole thing. But it's well, there, it's, there's an irony there. If you can take fifty, if you can wait fifty minutes to eat, 
should you be engaging in the frozen dinner to begin with? And it, it opens up all sorts of doors about your laziness uh, that I'm very comfortable exploring about myself. I, I don't mean to judge you, Zach, but, um, you know, I'm okay with it. No, I'm uh, I'm right there with you, 100%. I uh, shun the microwave at all costs, but sometimes just can't avoid it. Well, Evan, thank you very much for uh, keeping us all employed with your uh, fantastic stories over this offseason, and um, we look forward to reading more. Thank you very much for joining us, and stay safe out there, all right? Thank you, guys. Good luck with the frozen dinners. Thank you very hey, much. Thanks, Evan. See you soon, man. All right. Well, thanks again to Evan Drellick for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, again, if you if you haven't uh, followed him on the Athletic, he is breaking all sorts of news, both on the on the Astros front and on the pandemic labor fronts. Everything with along with Ken Rosenthal on our site. So definitely check him out. Uh, one other thing we wanted to talk about before we uh, head out that we want you to look forward to, or we hope you'll look forward to. Dan, Aaron Gleeman, and I are engaging in a very heated, very frustrating uh, fantasy draft where we are both, or all three of us are drafting an all-time twins team. I'll spare you all of the rules right now. We'll, we'll get into that when we talk about the full teams, but we're about, about halfway into the draft, and the amount of times that we have pissed each other off already, Dan, has just <laughs> been astounding. You know what? I, it was nice. I think uh, right before we signed on to, to do the podcast, Aaron trying to perhaps butter us up to get our guards down. Maybe maybe he's so frustrated uh, by how well we've drafted. He said that both of us have uh, out-drafted his expectations so far. Um, yeah. And I, I think he's just trying to sucker us in and, and get us to, you know, fall asleep here so he can clean up in the later rounds. But, yeah, it has been – I've probably had two players selected right in front of me um, that I was about to take. I know I've done it to you and Aaron – a couple times, um, the uh, the first pick being uh, Johan Santana. I know I kind of set it up. A, I don't know if it was last week or the week before the podcast where I said Kirby Puckett was going first, and he ended up going fourth overall to Aaron, and I, I I jumped in with Johan. I just there just isn't enough pitching in this franchise from the long term, and you get that guy. But it was fun to that, see your guys' reactions. So that was the one pick that just made me beside myself because I was so sure with all the great hitters in Twins history that you were going to go with one of them first, but that's exactly why you didn't. And it was smart because I was going to take Santana right behind you at two, because they just haven't had um, a lot of dominant pitching, of course. And so uh, a great move by you. I think every other pick that's been taken in front of me, when I made my previous pick, I've said, I'm probably not getting this guy if I wait, but, um, but that's a good, it's a good sign. That's been a competitive draft. I think we're all on the same page about how we're, approaching this so what we're going to do when we're done full 26-man rosters and again we're going to explain the rules and article on the site uh or maybe on next week's podcast but uh and then we're going to simulate a 162 game season where these three teams play each other uh i guess 81 times each and we'll see whose team is the best we're getting very specific <laughs> on the parameters for how this is going to work uh but i think it's going to be a good one dan yeah i i'm surprised how well we've figured out those parameters like there really hasn't been much contention and and it's kind of cool asking as we go along because there are certain players where it's like hey i'm gonna draft this guy and you i was gonna draft paul malder and use him at second base and then we determined you know that really doesn't work for our rules and i was like that's fine so i it, it's been fun it's gonna be a lot of fun to see how these teams turn out with the simulation 
And I'm just going to predict it right now that uh, the, the team with the most pitching, the team with uh, Santana, Blylevin, and Cott uh, to start their rotation, uh, I don't know how you guys let me do that. I'm going to predict that team wins. So let's just say. Well, we let you do it because that's all you picked to start the whole thing was pitching. So um, it's going to be your your arms against our bats. But I will say after, I guess I'll give you Bert, but after that, the next like eight starting pitchers are pretty similar. So you definitely have that top end advantage, but I think I think your three through five is going to be pretty comparable to our one through fives. But oh, Aaron yeah. decided to wait six rounds, was it? Seven to yeah. draft a pitcher? Let's so see. Yeah. interesting. But he, I, but I still feel like he got – I feel like his rotation is as good as mine, even though I started in a panic after you took Burt in the third round. Yeah, he, uh, he waited till the seventh round and – I know, but you're right. It, it is a top-heavy. There's like three guys. It, Viola's right there, too, um, with his Cy Young year. Um, and anyway, we're, we're spoiling the whole next podcast yes. of the draft, so we should probably stop. <laughs> I think we've already revealed like 15 picks. But uh, <laughs> check that. Look for that on the site. I'm not sure when this is going to be done because we're piecing it together as we, as we have time. But we'll have that on the site. We'll have it coming up on a podcast soon. Uh, thanks again to Evan thank you Dan thanks everybody for listening thanks producer Adam for making it sound good and we will catch you next time